Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. Let's read it together. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live lives, to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which, of course, it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are spending some time in First Thessalonians over the next couple of weeks using it to talk about uh, what it means to live within God's kingdom, what it means to be future people, uh, people who believe and live as if renewal and rescue and redemption, uh, the kingdom of God is both already here and coming for us and coming for the world. Uh, we have talked about how the great missionary Paul is writing this letter to uh, the, a new church, this new church in Thessalonica, a church that he's thrilled to see is learning how to live out the mission of faith and hope and love in the world. Uh, these, three these three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. Um, last week, we talked about how being a future person means an intentional work of becoming a person of great love. And this week, I want to talk about one of the other three theological virtues. I want to talk about hope, how being a future person uh, means, being become, means becoming a person of great hope. In our scripture lesson today that, that Josh just read for us, uh, we pick up after Paul has just told the Thessalonians that he and his buddy Silas, that they came in this uh, great act of love to them to share not just the good news of the gospel, but also their lives. And then in today's lesson, uh, he tells us more about why. Uh, the depth of his why, it comes from the idea that the glory of God and the renewal and flourishing of the kingdom are obtainable, that they are open to and within the grasp of everyone. Uh, Paul has this great message of hope that flourishing is not only possible, um, but it's present. It is able to be lived now, grasped now. Uh, Frederick Buechner, who I love, he says that for Jesus people, hope is the driving force, uh, but it is also the outermost edge of faith. I love that. Hope is the driving force and the outermost edge of faith. Um, my parents would tell you that um, uh, ever since I have been tiny, I have been a very big fan of the outermost edge. Uh, if there is a rule, then I want to get as close as I possibly can to the edge of the rule. I want to see how far I can go uh, within a boundary. For as long as I can remember, I have lived for the sight of what it looks like to kind of hang off the cliff and look over with my toes hanging off. In fact, uh, one of the biggest uh, 
pieces of feedback that I get on preaching from you guys is that you're afraid that one day I'm going to fall off the stage because I get so close to the edge back when we uh, used the stage. So, um, but I remember being in college, uh, not preschool, college and I went to a restaurant with some friends and the restaurant was surrounded by this like river moat thing it was sort of like a kitschy touristy uh restaurant and there were some kids playing around it and I got bored while we were waiting and so I remember going and getting as close as I could possibly get trying to get my toes as close as I could get them to the water to you know check out the moat I don't know and the next thing I knew uh, I felt someone grab my shirt and pull me up and I turned around and it was my boyfriend who uh, was also an adult who, who looked me in the eyes and said, I'm warning you, if you get that close to the water, you're going to get wet. And um, long story short, it did not work out for us because uh, he did not understand me. Uh, we did not make it as boyfriend and girlfriend. But uh, I love the outermost edge. I love getting my toes as close as I possibly can uh, without going over. Some of you do too. Uh, and then some of you like Chad and others, you cannot relate to this feeling at all. You do not have a need to see every square inch of a boundary to determine its value or safety. Uh, for many people, the edge is, is uh, where the greatest risk is, the risk of falling or the risk of failing or the risk of getting hurt or lost or forgotten. I think that Beekner is onto something when he talks about hope and faith. If hope is both a driving force and the outermost edge of faith, then hope is both essential and terribly risky. And yet so many of us live without it, something that is essential, or we live with a small picture of it because it is something uh, so risky. So we have this small picture of great hope, of true hope. Uh, to talk about this, it might help us to define hope, uh, what it is. The best definition that I currently have um, comes from a pastor in Oregon named John Mark Comer, and he says this. He says, hope is the absolute expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. I'm going to read it one more time. Hope is the absolute expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. Hope. It uh, isn't po just positivity and hope it isn't denial or like pie in the sky dreaming. Hope it holds hands with reality. Hope it sings the message of flourishing. Hope doesn't deny sadness or struggle or grief, but it makes room for them in the midst of flourishing. Hope, it doesn't close its eyes to all of the bad, but rather uh, hope is what allows us to take a step back and find the bigger story uh, within whatever moment we're living. Hope, it knows how to grieve, but it is confident in the work of the kingdom and the possibility of flourishing. If I had to put a word on what it means for hope to live at the outermost edge of faith, I would say it lives here, that hope lives in the promise of more, uh, more renewal, more rescue, more flourishing. Hope, it lives in the absolute expectation of coming good based on who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and what God has promised in the work of the Spirit all over the world. Hope, it lives in the idea that there is more, that there's more to life than surviving. I think what Paul is getting at uh, here in this part of the letter to the Thessalonians is, is this push uh, toward a hope that sees life as 
far greater and far more and far more exciting uh, than just surviving. As Jesus people, survival is is not uh, is not the top. It's not enough for us. We talk about this a lot. Following Jesus is not just surviving with as little bad stuff as you possibly can until you die. That isn't the picture painted uh, throughout the scriptures. Survival is not kingdom living. Flourishing is kingdom living. Flourishing is kingdom living. I think this is what Paul's talking about here in verse 12. He says, live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy for he called you to share in his kingdom and in glory. According to the Bible, uh, God's people have been created for flourishing, uh, but not just created for flourishing. We have also been invited, uh, mandated uh, to work the ground in order to bring flourishing into the world. We call it the creation mandate. And it goes on. We've also been invited and mandated as Jesus people to tell the story of the good news, bringing flourishing to the lives and hearts everywhere that we go. It's the kingdom mandate. I think that being a hope bearer in the world means living like this is true. Living like we believe that flourishing is possible and like we believe that it will come, uh, has the potential to come from our own hands. Paul, he does not present the way of Jesus as a system of rules created by what N.T. Wright calls uh, heavenly bureaucrats or policemen. No, Paul talks about a life challenged by the honor and the invitation and the joy of living a life that reflects the kindness and mercy and justice and peace and generosity and flourishing of the Father. A life built on the hope of glory. Uh, N.T. Wright, he says this, he says, God has not summoned us to do his heavenly bidding. That's what Caesar did. We, we talked about that last week. That's what Caesar was doing for uh, the people of uh, Thessalonica. Uh, God has not summed us, summoned us to do his heavenly bidding. Instead, he has invited us to a new and free way of living. As future people uh, living a life, uh, it means living a life as if we believe there is one, as if we believe there is a future. Living a life uh, with the hope of what God is doing and what God will do. It's an invitation to live, as a very favorite theologian of mine, Campbell Morgan, says, an invitation to live in the obedience to the work of love by the impulse of love. To live a life in obedience to the work of love by the impulse of love. And I would add, to the work of hope by the impulse of hope. Paul is telling the Thessalonians, he is reminding all of us that we have been invited to live our lives in the way of hope, uh, through the impulse of hope as we interact and engage with and create culture. Living as a future person means that we live with great hope, that we have been invited to interact with the earth and the dirt and the ground as if the world doesn't get blown up in the end of it. Uh, it, it means that how we treat the actual physical dirt matters. Uh, if you think that this whole world gets blown up at the end, that sermon's coming in a couple of weeks. So um, uh, toward the end of First Thessalonians. But uh, we've also been invited to interact with others, to engage with others as if uh, they have been made in the image of God on purpose for purpose, on purpose for flourishing. And we have been invited to become people who learn how to filter things through hope. Uh, not as deniers of problems or deniers of grief, but seeing the world through the lens of the work and the activity of the kingdom of God. 
As Jesus people, we have uh, been invited uh, to stand at the edge, toes hanging off, to engage the world uh, with the curiosity that hope invites, the faith that hope stands for, and the renewal that hope promises. Uh, and I can't help but think that during this current season, that might be what we need to hear. Uh, there's an election Tuesday, don't know if you knew. Um, and there's lots of weird information flying around everywhere, the news and social media and maybe your dinner table. Um, and I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I actually think that's a really uh, dangerous thing for preachers to do. Um, but I will say this. If you are finding yourself feeling a little bit lost in this, if you are finding yourself feeling like none of the political hats that you are trying on quit fight, quit quite fit, right? Um, then I just want you to know that that's okay. It's actually more than okay. Uh, here's the truth. No political party has cornered the market on Christian. Uh, a Jesuit priest I love this week uh, said this really well. He said, you're not going to go to hell if you vote Republican. And you're not going to go to hell if you vote Democrat. That is not what is at stake. What I believe is at stake is hope. It's hope. The good news of the gospel is this. Flourishing is possible for all people, for everyone, uh, through Jesus, for America, for the country that we love, and also not just for America. And we are a people who do not, I said this last week, but I'll say it over and over again during the season, as Jesus people, our ethics do not find their most true home in a political system or a political party. They can't. It's not that um, political systems or parties are bad things or evil things in and of themselves. It's that they are finite things. They will end. As Jesus people, our ethics are grouped around eternal things. Uh, our, our hope groups our ethics. Love groups our ethics. Faith groups our ethics. And so then uh, we are called to live a life sharing in the hope of glory and the hope of the kingdom of God on the absolute expectation of the coming good, based not on the promises of politics, but on the person and promises of Jesus. Our hope is not what happens or does, is not in what happens or does not happen on Tuesday. Our hope is in the expectation of coming good because of who Jesus is and because of what God has promised. We do not place our hope in horses or chariots, as Psalm 20 tells us, in horses or chariots, not in kings or queens. Our hope lives in the expectation that God is good and God is for good and the flourishing of his precious people. I want to read one last quote to you from Frederick Buechner, who we started our time with. Um, I think I might read it every day this week. Uh, so uh, here's what it says. We are people who stand on hope. Hope that in the spite of all the devastating evidence to the contrary, the ground we stand on is holy ground because Christ walked here and he walks here still. Hope that we are known, each one of us, by name, and that out of the burning moments of our lives, he will call us by our name to the lives he would have us live and the selves he would have us become. Hope that into the secret grief and pain and bewilderment of each of us and of our world, he will come at last to heal and to save. Uh, we are going to take a minute 
and we're going to just pause and be quiet. Um, I'm going to read uh, from Psalm 107. I'm going to read the first seven verses and then skip um, and read 33 through 37. It'll take me a minute. I would invite you just to close your eyes uh, and listen. A lot of times we'll, we'll like hold out our hands because we just want to connect our body with our uh, brain and heart and soul and spirit and, and hold out our hands just in a way to receive. And so um, I think this psalm has a lot to say to us in the name of hope and in the promises of God. So uh, I'm going to read it to you, Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in the desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then... They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Verse 33, he turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards and yielded a fruitful harvest. Amen.